0: This week on Better Together, we're celebrating Thanksgiving and all the people that make us better when we're together. Please welcome our special guest, Caroline Moore, with her mom and our guest, Cheryl Moore, for questions from a cornucopia, a speed round of harvest delights to ring in the season of gratitude.
1: Hello, it's your favorite turkey, Caroline, and I'm so excited to deliver the rapid fire of a lifetime to my mother, Cheryl Moore.
2: (laughs) That's hilarious. Sure, great. All right, are you ready, Mom? Oh, so ready. Okay. Fried or baked
1: turkey? Mm.
2: I like them both, but I guess fried because my husband fries turkeys and they're really awesome. They are. Thank you, Dad. Mm -hmm. Canned or
1: organic cranberry sauce I don't know how else you'd phrase that I like Reed Drummond's recipe
2: for cranberry sauce okay so no no cans for me no cans for me who
1: is the funniest person at the Thanksgiving table
2: hmm I'd say both my daughters are tied for that Caroline Moore and Avery Moore absolutely oh my gosh stop what is
1: your favorite Thanksgiving dish uh cornbread dressing
2: the best
1: if you could have Thanksgiving dinner with any celebrity, who would it be?
2: Hmm. Probably my girl, Oprah. Oprah. Gotta love Oprah.
1: Would it just be you two?
2: Uh, Gail could be there, but I, I think I would prefer just actually Oprah and my both my daughters. That's what I would prefer.
1: You know we'd blurt out something so embarrassing. It's best if we're not there.
2: Well, because Oprah doesn't know it, but we're best friends. And so right. for, forget Gail. She doesn't need to be there. Get those favorite things. Okay,
1: would you rather
2: cook the Thanksgiving meal or clean the dishes? Between the two, I guess clean up the dishes. I mean, that's a big deal. It takes a long time.
1: Pumpkin or pecan pie.
2: Pecan all the way.
1: Would you rather run a turkey trot or attend a football game?
2: Absolutely a football game between those two, please. I am not a turkey trot person. I don't even understand that. Let the record show we are not a turkey trot family. We are not.
1: So sorry to Costa. Oh. (laughs) Mr. Runner, okay.
2: I'm impressed by turkey truck people. It's not for us. No. Thanksgiving lunch or dinner? I think lunch because it gives you the rest of the day to just lay around and be lazy and enjoy the day.
1: Succumb to the L-Tryptophan.
2: Yes. Thanksgiving parade or
1: the Westminster Dog Show? Oh, dog show all the way. Black Friday or Cyber Monday? Cyber Monday, please. Okay, we're getting into some serious questions. All right, ready. What invention are you most thankful for?
2: (sighs) My favorite modern invention, technology invention, absolutely texting. The best thing ever invented. One of my favorite things other than that is luggage on wheels. Why did that take so long to invent? Oh my gosh, Change the world. Absolutely. And finally, who are you most thankful for? <laughs> it's cliche, but, you know, friends and family. That's just the way it is. I'm very fortunate and I have wonderful friends and a wonderful family. Definitely thankful for that. And to live in Cookfield to be honest. I love living here. Well, this concludes the
1: cornucopia of questions for Thanksgiving 2022. Whoop, whoop. Costa, thank you so much for
0: having us. Thank this you, is Caroline Costa. and Cheryl Moore. Welcome to Better Together with Kosti Epifonsive, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Kosti Epifonsive.
3: Hey y'all, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Cheryl Moore, former home ec teacher, artist, costume designer, and community volunteer. Today, we're talking about fashion, costuming, and which side we're bringing to Thanksgiving dinner. Cheryl, you're a woman of many talents. That's undeniable. You could costume a 100-person play while we're recording this episode. So our burning question is, what sparked your interest in costuming and fashion design?
2: Well, thank you for all that. My goodness. Very welcome. Well, I would have to say my mother. Um, my mother was quite the fashionista. She taught elementary school and had five children. I was the youngest. My wow. sister, oldest, three brothers in between, and then myself. I just grew up with her being interested in sewing. She tried to do it every night that she could. She would race through fixing dinner so she could run to the sewing machine we always had gorgeous magazines in our home, and it just all happened very naturally for me. I, I made my first dress when I was nine years old.
3: Wow, nice.
2: And the thing about that that made it so easy and fun was that I had her right there in the house to ask questions as I went along. So it was very organic. Is that is that how I should say that? It's
3: perfect. So you didn't <laughs> really have like any formal training, right? You just learned it from your mom, right?
2: Right, hands on. And then, of course, in college- Since I got a degree in home ec education, I did a lot of my focus with the textile, well, with sewing classes. Okay. That kind of thing.
3: Nice. So you're sewing and you're making your own clothes and you're not really doing it with any formal training. How do you take that passion, uh, that skill, and then transition it into costuming for big productions?
2: Well... It's quite an easy transition, really. When I was at the high school, I was a teacher assistant with Michael Schoet. Okay. And Michael just puts on phenomenal musicals, as we all know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he knew that I knew how to sew and that we love working with each other. So he asked me if I would take this on, and I couldn't believe what we were about to do and how big he was going to make it. I mean, his productions are huge. Right. Biggest things that have ever come to Cookville. And so- I went in just totally blind and we just had a big time. And I didn't know when I said yes, that he was going to cast like a hundred students and they each have multiple costumes. You know, some, some of them had like what eight, nine, 10 costume changes each. I mean,
3: how long did it take you to do all that? Well,
2: I don't do it all. Oh, I was mean, about to say. yeah, I'm just in charge. Okay. Got I'm in it. charge. Got it. Actually, the person I learned the most from was Kim Frickwelker. She is a phenomenal director, and she is hands-on with set design. She paints it herself. She knows what she's doing, and she also could be a phenomenal costume designer. Mm -hmm. She does not sew, but she had everything else, and I learned so much from her about what to do, and I just went from there. But trying to find other people who sew and who have intermediate level skills. Sure. I can find people who maybe can sew a straight line and that's about it. And we can use that. We could use them, too. But trying to find people who know how to sew at an advanced level, it's just very hard to find. And that's when I get on my soapbox.
3: Well, I'll tell you, being from another country, that's kind of like a part of our culture. You just have, you don't, you can't go out of the store and buy clothes because they're way too expensive. Right. So you have to make your own clothes. And so my entire family knows how to sew. Now, I don't. But they don't consider me Russian. They consider me American um, now uh, because I didn't learn how to sew.
2: Okay, well, there you are.
3: (laughs) So but I I will say um, I remember in art class we had like that circle thing where you would have to sew out like a picture of a spider or something like that. Um, or like oh, a strawberry. Hand sewing. Yes, hand yes, sewing. yes. yes, Yes. Um, I never learned how to use the sewing machine, but it was in all of our houses, like my grandparents' houses, my house. And they would get on that thing, man. They would just be, I mean, they had like Fly. a little foot pedal, <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? And they'd be in there just do, 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 you know. Yeah. And I was like, Man, it's it's dangerous because there's a needle there. And if you're not careful, yes. You know? So it's
2: intimidating to a lot of people. Yeah. I, you know, and I still teach sewing classes. And I think that's what people are most terrified of is the machine. But what what I try to teach is, you know, to be comfortable with the sure. machine so you can go from there. But what I get on my soapbox about is when sewing was taken out of schools, it's just become a dying art, which yeah. is ridiculous. It's such an important and essential hobby that serves everybody. It serves people in their homes, in their community, and so on and so forth. And I understand home Ec as it was. It's very antiquated. I understand how it was removed from schools, but it needs to be redesigned. And to me, it should be in the art department and it should be in an art elective. And I've been saying, I'm going to march to Nashville and find somebody who chooses curriculum for the state and say, please, please bring this back. When I am at the high school and I am sewing countless students... And their parents walk in and say, I would give anything to know how to do this. And some guys. And it's just a shame that there's really not much way for people to know how to do it. I mean, the next Michael Kors might be in Baxter. That's right. The next Tory Burch might be right here in Cookville. But they have no exposure. They have no idea if this is something they could pursue or study and that makes me sad and it should t- definitely be back in schools if you ask me probably junior high level and high school.
3: Absolutely. do you think that fast fashion had a lot to kind of contribute to the decline of people wanting to make their own clothes and be creative and learn how to sew?
2: I think home Act got taken out of schools before we had so much fast fashion. Okay. And Why, sewing, though? well sewing has become expensive. Fashion is a huge part of the American economy. Right. And sewing and all that goes with it used to be a huge part of the fashion economy in the U.S. and probably Europe and all over the world. And so in other places, it may be fast fashion. But when you think about the US and all of our interests now, Pinterest and uh, self-expression and just being able to do fashion your way, I would think it would be a great time to bring it back. Yeah, I just think it's so important and it brings me so much joy. I am never bored. During the pandemic, that's all I did. I just went down to my basement and sewed, and it was it was heaven. I just hated that so many people were going through such a terrible, terrible time. But I kind of was down there with Netflix in my basement (laughs) and having a big old time. And as long as you know how to sew and you enjoy that, you always have a creative outlet. And may I say, excuse me, when there was a mask shortage, how important it was to have people who knew how to make those masks i was angry i had a girlfriend who sews and she and i were just being asked to make unbelievable amount of mass and we were like this is not hard and we're the two of us are doing this for so many people when it it should be so common to find somebody who sews it used to be common when i was growing up lots of people sewed their own clothes even small towns had fabric stores if you were a town of 2,500 people, you had your own fabric store. It was common.
3: My mom made our uh, curtains and, and, my, oh, and, exactly. and my grandparents did well. Yeah, I mean, we went to a fabric store. I mean, it was it was surreal for me to see that type of store in existence. I mean, granted, this was like two, I don't know, late 90s. But right. she came in, she picked out fabric, she sewed the curtains, and she hung the curtains up, and they were beautiful.
2: Exactly. But
3: I wonder... If you can, say, for example, pay somebody, you know, a fourth of the wage to sew a pair of pants in Vietnam versus paying them five or six times the amount to sew those same pants in the United States. like I know, that, I get Do you it. think that's probably what contributed to the decline of people think, wanting to enter um, that as a career?
2: I think it's one of the final nails in the coffin for yeah. it. Yeah, I really do. And it's a shame, but that's when it just needs to become still important in our culture. Yeah. Just because of self expression. And the reason I sew and keep sewing, well, it makes me happy. I enjoy it, but I copy. Like I was in Nashville on Friday at Green Hills Mall and I saw a gorgeous skirt and it was polyester and I thought, pfft. I'm so going to buy this skirt, you know, because I'm sure it's reasonable. I'm sure it's like less than a hundred dollars. I lit the price tag. It was three hundred and seventy five dollars. Wow.
3: A polyester skirt.
2: That skirt would take me three or four hours from beginning to end to make. Amazing. And so I just hung it right back up. One of the outfits I'm trying to copy right now I found in a magazine. It's nine hundred and fifty dollars. Well, I'm not going to pay nine hundred and fifty dollars for anything. And I can copy it. And so that's what I do. I get inspired by something and I copy it and for far less money. But the problem is finding the fabric. There's only one privately owned fabric store left in Nashville.
3: No, really?
2: I've been going there for 30 years. It used to be huge. Used to be like half of a gymnasium size and then it got smaller and smaller. And now it's not much bigger than this room we're sitting in. It just keeps getting smaller. And so I expect it to die as well. And so the huge city of Nashville, there's just one little fabric store left. Other than like Joanne Fabric.
3: But why not go to Joanne Fabric?
2: I do go to Joanne Fabric. But this is like a a higher end fabric store. Okay, I see, I see. But even they don't have the fabrics I'm looking for. And there is a lot of us who do, well, let me say that there's not enough of us. There's a handful of us who do the costume sewing here in Cookville. And when Hancock closed, that was devastating. Mm -hmm. We still have Hobby Lobby. But Hancock really, really had most of what we needed. And I tried to convince Joanne Fabric to come here. I've written them several times and tried to contact them online to say, please consider Cookville. We have, how many active theaters do we have here? Six or eight? Or I used to know the number. Movie theaters? No, I'm sorry. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh, performing
3: theaters. Performing I'm sorry, theaters. I'm sorry. Tennessee, yeah. There's Tennessee
2: Tech, there's <laughs> Children's <laughs> yeah, think, Theater, there's yeah. the high school, there's schools that have drama programs. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to go to Mount Juliet or we have to go to Nashville to try to find what we need for those shows and we used to have it right here.
3: That's and, a good point. And
2: our Hancock was eighth in the nation as far as success.
3: Why did it leave?
2: the whole company went bankrupt. Oh, man. Again, for the reasons we were just discussing that you brought up fast fashion and uh, nobody knowing how to sew anymore. It's just ridiculous.
3: It's so sad. It's
2: ridiculous. Let's
3: talk about costuming, though, for a second. What was your favorite project that you've done and what separates an average costume from a show-stopping one?
2: I have to say it'd be a three-way tie between... King and I, Phantom of the Opera, and Les Miserables. Oh, Les Miserables. God. We did Les Miserables.
3: So amazing.
2: Phantom and King and I were my favorite simply because of pure, elegant mm-hmm. opulence. Michael Shute and I are always on the same page. You know, the more, the better, the more elegant and all that. And they were two beautiful shows, although they just about killed me to do Les Miserables. It's one of my favorites because it was huge and it's just a great show, period. Mm -hmm. And it was done so well. But I learned to distress because that involved everybody had to look poor and ragged and uh, like they lived on the streets in France. So I had to learn to age things and um, put brown shoe polish on, do it through a cheese grater, set it on fire because really... When you think about it, the only source of heat was fire. And if you're living outdoors, you're going to get embers and they're going to burn your clothes. Mm-hmm. So hems were jagged with um, scorched hems. Sure. And I did learn that's a great stress reliever. I highly recommend that to people. If you will light th- that hem on fire uh-huh. and then stomp it out real quick it did me a lot of good because that was a very stressful show.
3: Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, it was honestly, I think I realize now what creates a show-stopping outfit. I mean, I would never even think to burn holes or, or, you know, to to age the clothes. But I got to ask, on the king and I, like, were you the one behind designing, like, the king's... Because, I mean, the, the wardrobe that the king wears is just... Gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Absolutely. And how long did it take you to create that? Because... It's extremely, it's very, like, detail-oriented. Yes,
2: it's very specific. It's
3: very specific, Yeah, it had yes. a very
2: specific look. Uh, he, had, he wore harem pants, and it took forever to find that pattern. And that's another thing that's suffering. Pattern companies are shrinking, and it's harder and harder to find patterns. I collect patterns. But anyway, yes, that was very challenging. Oh, his jacket was made out of a friend's velvet curtains.
3: Where do you find that? (laughs) In Nashville?
2: No. My good friend, Nan Hawkins, that I work with said, well, you know, I have some red velvet curtains that I'm not using anymore. I said, bring them in. And that's what his jacket was made of. And what also makes a fantastic costume more than just your average costume are trims. So I would go to Nashville or I'd get online with Etsy or whatever and just order these elaborate trims from like India, um, Hong Kong. Incredible. From Australia. I would just order and order and order. And so we went to great lengths to make the costumes as authentic as we could. Yeah.
3: So are the fabrics that you're looking for, like, do they stock them in countries like China and Japan and Vietnam, like the ones that are actual like textile producers? Like, can you find those fabrics overseas? Yes. Okay. So it's not that they're just like gone from existence. No. Okay.
2: No. New York has them or, um, yes, China, India, Etsy comes in so handy for that. But you're not getting to touch it. Yeah. I want to be able to touch it. Sometimes you want something that's very fluid and it's going to drape well. Sometimes you want it to be stiff and have body. I mean, it's called the hand. It needs to have a certain hand. You know, so often you order it and it's not the right thing. You have to send it right back. There's your shipping costs and your time lost. It's very frustrating.
3: You know, um, my wife, she made her own wedding dress. (gasps) now now i need
2: to meet her she's
3: she's phenomenal i mean you absolutely love her she bought the fabric from overseas and then you know sewed it and she looked beautiful i mean it's such a beautiful uh dress and ah, she's great
2: <laughs> i would just have to we're gonna have to add her to our list of sure. intermediate skill level uh, I, I
3: don't know if she's intermediate <laughs> skill level but you know she hasn't done it in a while but who knows maybe she still knows how all right so I've got three quick questions. Yes. uh, Specifically about costuming. On average, how many costumes will you create for a production? How long does it take to make each item? And how many costume designers usually work on a single production?
2: Okay. Probably well over a thousand costume pieces. When you think about it, belts, socks, hats, jewelry, tops. Coats. I mean, it just all adds up. Mm-hmm. In Michael Show's plays, the vocal leaders of the show will need to be in many, many scenes because their their vocals are needed. Sometimes they're soloists. Sometimes they're in the back because the other students need that vocal leadership to you know get that sound that he's wanting. So they'll have to have fifteen costumes. Wow! And you know, and it's just kind of a joke that okay, you save the costumes. Oh, and that's another issue is storage for costumes. It's a challenge. But anyway, it's just if you do Les Miserables and your Jean Valjean that year is 5'6", of course, the next time it's cast, it's going to be a 6'2", 220-pound guy is the new Jean Valjean. So you have to start over. Oh, wow. So...
3: How long does it take for you to like hours or like how many hours or maybe how many weeks or does it take months?
2: Oh, sure. Sure. Because I, I would oversee the whole thing. I stayed up all night many times.
3: How many people were you overseeing during these productions?
2: I think the most I ever had was 23. But again, maybe only two of those people have advanced level skills. The rest of them were doing things like one year when we did Phantom, we had to have... 20 something ascots for the boys. So that's just straight line sewing. And then that same show for Phantom, I had to have 20 something sets of gloves. So we even made like opera gloves for the girls out of stretch, gorgeous fabric that I found. Yay. At Hobby Lobby. So it just varies.
3: Well, and you obviously have incredible fashion sense. So I do want to ask you a question about wardrobes. First, I want to ask, what guidelines from costuming have you incorporated into dressing yourself in everyday life? And what advice do you have for us to up-level our daily wardrobes?
2: Well, as much as I would love to tell other people how to dress, I really would never do that. Everybody has their own style, their own experience. Um, I've never been the same since I started costuming. Now, I probably show up overdressed most places I go because (laughs) now I'm like, oh, bigger's better. Too much is just right. I mean,
3: I absolutely love (laughs) your outfit. I think it looks great. Oh,
2: you're so nice. Thank you. I did make my blouse and I made my handbag. I did purchase these pants, but I had to hem them. So again, hemming, alterations, that always has to be done.
3: I will say I do get alterations on a lot of my clothes. Sure. Because like for example, I buy a lot of suits from J. Crew and J. Crew doesn't have a thirty one pant. I am not a thirty and I'm not a thirty two. I'm a thirty one. And you know how hard it is to find a thirty one oh, length pant? It's very hard. Yeah. So anyway, I alter all my uh, all my pants and then all of my shorts I wear at an eight inch inseam. And so if they're not an eight inch inseam, then I get them altered as well.
2: Are you able to get those altered locally? Yeah, yeah, I get okay. them at
3: A One Cleaners, wonderful. on Jefferson. Yeah, okay, yeah.
2: good, and they do a good job too. Good, good, yeah. wonderful. I'm glad to hear uh, it.
3: I, I will say, um, I would be very hard pressed if somebody didn't specialize in alterations. I would be very hard pressed to find somebody that could do it. Right. So, um, if anything ever happens to A One, I'll call you.
2: Okay, and we'll, we'll work <laughs> something out, right? Well, <laughs> and what's great about speaking of alterations, what's great about theater sewing in that regard is. It's the 30 foot rule. You really only have to worry about how this looks from afar. So I just always tell my people who have helped me alter things for the students in our shows, just grab a big glob of that fabric and just run it under the sewing machine because it's not going to show from 30 feet away. It doesn't have to be a beautiful alteration. It can just be a chunk of material. You just run it through and in the back, it'll be in the back. Don't worry about it. So that's kind of the fun part.
3: You know, I mean, you obviously have a great sense of style. So, I mean, what advice could you give us? Like what, uh, when we get dressed in the morning, Don't pair or pair, you know, like a polo with shorts or um, I know you don't really give a lot of advice on men's clothing, but maybe like for women that are listening, like what's your go to outfit when you get dressed?
2: I do a lot of J.Crew too. Oh, good. Just contrast. I mean, it's kind of fun not to be too matchy matchy. Like it's fun to put like a really gorgeous suede jacket with jeans. I mean, I'm all for putting most everything with jeans. Yeah. I wear sparkly jewelry with jeans. Um, I just enjoy that contrast of the high and low. Uh,
3: What's your favorite color? Green. Gosh, I love that. You know, I have one uh, green (laughs) eye and one blue eye. Well. And my favorite color is blue. But I am a Gemini, so I also like green. Me too.
2: Are you really? I'm a Gemini. When's your birthday? May 31st. Oh, wow. June 6th. Oh, we're so close.
3: (laughs) I love it. So- this is a special Thanksgiving episode and I want to mix in some festive harvest flavors. What's your favorite Thanksgiving tradition? How did it begin and how has it evolved?
2: Well, actually, I'll confess, my sister-in-law, my wonderful sister-in-law Norma Moore hosts the whole Moore family and all of her side of the family of the Goolsby's. Anyway, She'll have 35, 40 people at the house. I'm just one of them and I bring a dish. So I'm always the sweet potato casserole person. Nice. And I'm very picky about my sweet potato casserole. I do Christmas and she does Thanksgiving. But anyway, I'm always inspired by Norma. She does gorgeous tablescapes and I always enjoy a good tablescape. That's my favorite tradition, I think.
3: How do you feed 40 people?
2: Everybody brings them, but she sets a formal table for each person who comes. If she has 40 people, she'll put 40 gorgeous. Place settings everywhere. At
3: one table? I mean, there oh, no, no, no. must a very long table. No, ta- you're, no. It,
2: it's all over the house. You know, <laughs> okay, there's okay. like a round table over there yeah. and a square one over here. Yeah. Like
3: I'm thinking like maybe she lives in like a medieval castle, no. you know. <laughs> She's got like a ballroom, right. you know, <laughs> with That's a right. massive That's table. That's right.
2: She's, you know, replicated <laughs> Buckingham Palace. Yeah. You know? right? No, nothing like that.
3: What's your favorite Thanksgiving recipe? And will you walk us through how to make it?
2: Well, it's a quick and easy sweet potato casserole. Great. You get that whole bag of sweet potatoes and they're horrible to peel. That's the worst part. Peeling sweet potatoes is very hard. It's a very hard vegetable to work with. And then you have to chop them up and that's hard. Once you've got that done, you're home for it. Then you uh, boil those and get them soft. And then you add the sugar, the butter, the eggs, the vanilla. And then on top of that... You do the dark brown sugar, flour, pecans, drizzle another stick of butter on top, and then cook that for 30, 40 minutes. And voila. If somebody is a sweet potato person, they often ask for the recipe.
3: Amazing. So I am curious. Do you think that as your kids have their own kids and more and more grandkids come into the into the mix that you're gonna have to just start renting an event space because all those people aren't gonna be able to fit inside of Norma's house?
2: Yeah, Norma, yes. And the <laughs> family keeps growing. I agree right. with you. I don't know how many more years she can she can do it before she does need to tag team it out to somebody right? else. Exactly. That's right. Time for those uh 40-something-year-olds to start taking over. Yeah. Now,
3: let me ask you this. Do you have any grandkids now? I don't. Uh, would you like some?
2: Someday. I, I don't obsess about it, though. I really don't. It it never crosses my mind until someone asks me, oh, you don't have any grandchildren. I go, well, I guess I don't. Yeah.
3: I'll tell you a funny story. Um. So my mother-in-law wanted grandkids so bad. She bought like a radio flyer. Like she would buy all these toys and stuff. And I was oh, like, wow. and we didn't no no grandkids, but she would buy the toys. So then she bought a dog, um, a Boston Terrier named Rocket to kind of, you know, uh ease the pain. Rocket, once the first grandkid came, Rocket became kind of um neglected. Uh no, he didn't, I'm just kidding. But you know, relative oh, to how yeah. much love he had prior to the grandkids. Exactly. You know, um but my father in law takes good care of him. So Her first grandchild, which is my oldest son, Louis, was born on her birthday. I don't think she'd mind me telling the story. When Jessica was in labor, it was about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to 12. And we were all kind of like looking at each other. And I was like... This could be it, you know, like we could we could make it an extra 30 minutes if we just don't, you know, don't push. Exactly. Don't if, push. We just, if we just wait <laughs> right here for 30 minutes, then we can have the first grandchild born on your mom's birthday. Aww. I mean, that would be the greatest present of all time. And it happened. Louie was born uh, at 1207 on July 17th. And uh, yeah, right. he became the first grandkid. Last question, and then we're going to wrap, okay? Okay. All right. If you could design a costume for a person or ensemble in the Macy's Day Parade, who or what would it be? And tell us about your creation.
2: I would have to say one of the queens. I mean, I just love a queen costume. Definitely something with a cape. I'm such a huge cape person. They work up fairly fast and they make a really strong statement. They're very impactful capes. Or one of the carolers. I just have a thing for the Victorian carolers. I keep saying I'm going to make a set and then donate them to my church. And how many years has I been saying that? Uh, And does my church want them? No, they probably don't. They've never even they don't even know I want to do this. (laughs) But. I would say one of those two, and of course the carolers would involve capes too. I guess. I, love I, it. I guess. Come think. I guess I'm really into capes.
3: There you go. I'm sure. You're, I'm sure people from your church are listening to this episode, and and they'll say they'll reach out to you Good. and see if you could do it.
2: Good. Well, I'm. I'm all. I'll, I'll do it. One of these days, I'm going to do it.
3: So we always like to end the show on a high note. Who is someone that makes you better when you're together?
2: I am so fortunate. I have so many great friends. But anyway, I would have to say my good friend, Mindy. She's been my closest friend since eighth grade. I adore her. And also, of course, my two daughters, Avery and Caroline. But so many women I know in Cookville, I'm amazed how many phenomenal women live in Cookville. They are people of integrity. They're fun. They're driven. They're hardworking. They love to laugh. And I guess most of all, though, it'd be my husband, Lee. And this is when I get emotional. Um, We've been together 37 years. He is my everything. Even though we might fuss and snip, I call it snip snapping, you know, a little bit with each other. He is just so strong and so resilient. And he's um, been dealing with Parkinson's. And and he's so resilient and strong and just keeps on keeping on and does not let it get him down for long. And he's my person. Thank you for joining us on this episode of
0: Better Together with Costa Yep If you've enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Better Together with Costa Yep is a Costa Yep production. Today's episode was written and produced by Morgan Franklin. Post-production, mixing, and editing by Mike Franklin. Want to know more about Costa? Visit us at
2: costayepafonsive.com. We're better together.